following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We are starting today a brand new series in the book of 1 Peter. So I want to encourage you to start finding your way there if you have a Bible. If you have the old printed Bible, that's great. There's still a few of them around. Still a bestseller, I hear. Uh, if you have the Bible app, um, then you can, you can open that. If you're looking for a good Bible app, uh, the version is a really good one. Lots of different English translations and um, multiple language translations in there, and you can grab that. Um, so just find your way to First Peter. If you've got the paper Bible, it's right towards the back. If you've got the electronic Bible, I guess you just type in 1PET and it probably comes up. So um, we're going to start at the beginning of First Peter. Let me just say that for this series, we are, I'm writing a study sheet every week. So if you're in a life group, I know a lot of our life groups are going through the series together. So that's great. And those study sheets are up. When, when will they be up? Bef now. Okay, so by, by each Sunday's message... This, the sheet for that week will be up, which means after this, you can grab that online. Uh, it's on our website. Um, just find your way to the teaching area of our website, and there's, there'll be an area there for those study sheets. You can use them as individuals. You can use them in your life group. And in those, in those study sheets, we're just trying to push a little bit more into the so what kind of questions uh, so that you can apply it to your life and you can interact around this and, and ask each other how this all works in the context of your lives and um, your experiences. So each week in the First Peter series, there'll be, a, there'll be a study sheet. And I'd encourage you to read this book of the Bible for yourself. Uh, always want to encourage you to be reading Scripture. And this is a good way of developing that habit. If you're not in that habit, seeing as though we're going through the series and we'll be in this book of the Bible for the next few months, just make it your goal each day. Spend some time reading through First Peter. You could just take a paragraph or so at a time. Um, read through First Peter. If you finish that one, keep going to Second Peter. If you finish that, keep going. And just there's nothing like being in the Word, reading the Word. And uh, the fact that we're doing all this together will make that a little bit easier for you. So this morning, we are just going to start at the very beginning. And what we're going to do, what I try and do when we, when we start a book of the Bible, start a new series, is just have a, have a message that kind of gives you an orientation uh, of the book that we are looking at so that you get a sense of the big picture, okay? Uh, sometimes you can get so buried in the details that you can't see the wood for the trees. So today, I just want to give you the big picture of First Peter, but we'll do that by looking at the first two verses, just the first two verses of First Peter, okay? I promise after today we'll speed up. It's not going to be two verses every week, but today just two. And this, this will help us to get our bearings with the series, all right? It'll give you a bit of the flavor and a bit of the context of the whole book, so we'll kind of know what we're doing when we jump into the body of the book next week. So if you've got your way there already, you can follow along as we read. We're in First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Right, that's all we're biting off today. Okay, short and sweet. So, let's just get some fundamentals. Uh, this book of the Bible is a letter. Okay, some of you know that. This is a 
letter. So originally, this book was not part of the Bible. Okay, it didn't start off being one of a whole lot of books. It just started off being a letter, and it was written. You know, letters, that, that was what you wrote before email, right? So you had letters. People actually wrote these things, and they got, it got sent around to a whole lot of different people. We'll talk about who they are. But this was a, a, a freestanding letter, and then eventually it got included in what we now call the Bible or the New Testament. But that's not how it started. It was just a letter written by one person to a bunch of other people. So that, that helps, I think, just to understand the original uh, genre of this book is a letter. Same with Second Peter. Same with many of the books in the New Testament. Sometimes we call them epistles. That's just a fancy name for a letter. Now, the first word in this book is what? Peter, yes, I want to make sure you're awake this morning. Right, seem a bit sleepy. We're trying to wake you up here. Uh, Peter, Peter is the author of this book. Okay, so who is Peter? Well, he doesn't give us his backstory here, but if you know a little bit of the Bible, some of you know some of the stories, or you've read some of the Bible, you will know that Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus. Okay, so Peter was someone who walked with Jesus for three years. During Jesus' ministry, he, he was apprenticed by Jesus. Uh, he saw Jesus work miracles. He heard Jesus teach. I mean, he was with Jesus for those three years of his ministry. He had all of his highs and lows during that time, didn't he? He, had, he was on the transfiguration there with Jesus. He, was, he walked on the water. Think about that. The guy who's writing this book, he has literally walked on water with Jesus. Uh, and then he had that horrible low point where he denied Jesus three times on the night that Jesus was arrested, pretended he didn't even know who Jesus was. So he's not a perfect person, that's for sure. He came through that ordeal, and then as after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Peter then became a leader in the early church. And so what happened is those who were disciples after the resurrection of Jesus became apostles. Okay, that's the distinction there. And apostles are just those who are sent it means to be sent out. And Peter introduces himself here as an apostle, one who was sent. He was sent out by Jesus along with the rest of the disciples to go and take the good news of Jesus' resurrection, the good news uh, that there is salvation that is found in Jesus, out beyond just the people of, of uh, Israel, out into the broader world, out to all nations. And so Peter then stands up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches what is really the first Christian sermon ever preached on the other side of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And he encourages people to place their faith in Jesus. He says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Boom, 3,000 people respond. Instant megachurch, just like that. And there's Peter's church. And then he becomes a pastor of that church. And he's a key leader in Jerusalem from that point on. So Peter becomes a key player in the life of the early church. At some point, we don't know when or how, Peter made a trip to Rome. Don't know how that happened. We don't have the story. But we know that by the time he's writing this letter, he's in Rome. That's a long way from his home in Jerusalem. Uh, but he made the trip. We know that because at the end of this letter, he greets people from Babylon. And in the New Testament, Babylon's a code name for Rome. Right, they didn't like to use Rome because of the suspicion from the authorities. But we know Babylon, that's how it's used. So he's writing from Rome at this, at this point. And here's what I want you to remember about Peter as we go through the series. I know he's a disciple. I know he's an apostle. 
But just don't forget, Peter was also a fisherman. Right? Can you keep that in your mind? If you go right back to the very first story about Peter in the Bible, it's that story where Peter and his brother Andrew were out fishing. So, I mean, Peter's, he's a manual laborer, right? He's a fisherman. He's a very ordinary guy. And follow me. And Peter follows Jesus. And his life was never the same. And that's it. And, and so Peter is not, Peter was not part of the religious establishment. He was not a Pharisee. He was not a Sadducee. He was not kind of part of the, the, the aristocracy. He was not a priest. He was not a Levite. He was not someone of any wealth or status or rank or resources or means. He was a working class guy. He was a blue collar guy. And here he is just making his life available to Jesus. He's just making himself usable to Jesus. When you make yourself usable to Jesus, who knows what God's going to do with your life? And God took Peter from that point and did extraordinary things through him. But don't forget, the guy writing this letter that we're looking at is a fisherman. Okay, when you, when we, We're going to get into some stuff in this letter that's pretty difficult to understand at times. There's going to be some heavy theology. It's going to be some big words. It's going to be some stuff that may feel like it doesn't, you know, doesn't fit together for you. Just remember, this is written by a fisherman. Okay, He's not a theologian. He's not part of the intelligentsia. He is a fisherman. He's an ordinary guy writing to very ordinary people. And so this makes sense for ordinary people. And so we're going to sit there and listen as it hopefully makes sense to us. So I think just remembering here, we are listening in on a fisherman writing to his friends. Maybe that will help to ground the letter for you. Maybe that will help to kind of earth it and pull it out of this realm of just abstract theology and make it something real. It's a very ordinary guy who's writing this. And a guy who had all of his own flaws too, right? Let's not forget that. He's not a perfect person. He had his problems. So do we. So Peter introduces himself, and then he introduces the people that he's writing to. And this is where we we'll spend most of our time. And he gives us three descriptions of these people. Three descriptions of his, of his audience, and these apply equally to us today. Let me see, let me, let's see how he describes them. Firstly, Peter gives us a geographic description of these people. He just tells us where they live. So he says, in verse 1, To the exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now these, I think we've got a map here somewhere for those of you that are geography geeks. Here is your lucky day. We're going to look at where these people were. Here's the map. Now, those five provinces there, Bithynia, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, they are all in the country that we now call what? Turkey. Turkey. Yep. So Peter is writing to Turks. They didn't call themselves Turks back then. Uh, back then, this whole area was called Asia Minor. Not the Asia we know today, uh, but this is how they referred to that whole area that we now know as Turkey. So just keep in mind that this letter is not written to one specific church or group in one specific location. There's quite a broad group of people that were the recipients of this letter. And you can imagine this letter would have been passed around. It would have been taken by a messenger and would have been passed around to all the various house churches that existed with all, all, within all of these different regions and read out. And so it's what we call a circular letter that made its way around a broad group rather than being written just to one specific congregation. Now, these believers that, that Peter's writing to, they were having a hard time. We know that from what Peter says in this letter. They were being persecuted, uh, probably not 
full-on state persecution, but probably a lot of social isolation, a lot of social exclusion, a lot of shame, a lot of stigma coming on the church, a lot of suspicion from other people because of the way they worshipped strange gods and worshipped this crucified Messiah, which was not the Roman way. So they were having a difficult time, and Peter's writing to encourage them in their faith, writing to encourage them to stay strong in their faith in the midst of the suffering that they're going through. Now, more importantly, though, than the geography, Peter then gives us a second way of thinking about these recipients. He, he describes them with an experiential identity. So he's given us the geographic identity. Then he gives us this experiential identity, helps us understand the experience of these people. And it's all wrapped up in one word that Peter uses, an absolutely key word that we're going to come back to in this series. He says there, to God's elect exiles. That's a key word. If you want to underline something, you're allowed to underline the Bible, it's okay. If you want to underline the word exiles, that's a key word, and you'll notice it's the title of the whole series. So this is going to be like a canopy over the whole journey through 1 Peter. This word, Peter comes back to it and uses it again, and this is his dominant way of thinking about the people that he's writing to. Now, what does this mean? Well, you think about an exile. So an exile is... Someone who lives outside of their country, right? Not, not usually by choice, although you do have self-imposed exiles. But usually, an exile is someone who's forced to live outside of their home country for whatever reason. And so they're living in this place. It's not their home, and they're longing for home. They're longing for where they really belong, but they've got to somehow make life work in this country that they have now been put in or forced to flee to. Now, the problem is... When we look at this situation first Peter's writing to, none of these people were literally exiles. So, so these are not people who had been forced out of their home country, who were living in some form of political exile, who were living outside of where they wanted to be. They, they were living in these, these places in Asia Minor. That's where they lived. So there's absolutely no evidence that these were political exiles, which means that Peter's using the word in a different way. And what he's saying is, you're not, it's not that you're literally being taken out of this place into this place. He's using this as a figure of speech. Can you hear that? He's using this as a metaphor. And he's saying, I want you to think about yourselves as exiles. And what Peter's doing there is he's reaching right back into an Old Testament story. You might be familiar with it. The story of the exile. And there was a time in Israel's history in the Old Testament where they got taken out of their land, got conquered by the Babylonians for 70 years. They got taken over into this other country, Babylon. They got put there. It was a strange country. They didn't know the customs. They didn't know the traditions. They didn't know the culture. These were, there was a whole lot of gods that the Babylonians worshipped, which were nothing to do with the Jewish god, Yahweh. Uh, the Babylonians wanted nothing to do with the Israelite ways of life and Israelite worship and all of that. So these exiles there were just trying to figure out now, how do we live in Babylon and it's where you get some of these lines from the Psalms, like, how do we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? You know, Boney M didn't come up with that line. It was actually, actually in the Bible. How do we sing? Like, how can we rejoice when we're in Babylon? It's not where we want to be. We belong in Jerusalem. You know, we're, we're looking towards Jerusalem. We're longing for home, but we have to figure out life here. Now, can you hear what Peter's doing? He's taking that story and he's taking his audience hundreds of years later and he's dropping them back into that story 
And he's saying, I want you to think about yourselves in the same way. You are residents of all these areas, Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. But that's not your home. That's not where you ultimately belong. That might be where you live, but you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And you must not forget your true spiritual home. And so you exiles, he's saying, you're going to have to figure out how to live here, but belong there. And you're going to have to figure out what that dual citizenship really looks like. Now, that's just as relevant to us today, isn't it? I mean, this is, just, this is a message straight to our lives today. We are exactly the same. I can imagine that if Peter was writing to us today, what would he say? To the exiles scattered throughout Auckland. If he was talking to us, scattered throughout New Zealand, maybe. You know, here we are living in, where do you live? Torbay, Birkenhead, Albany. What's that far land in the north? Whangaparoa. You know, to these, to these believers scattered in all of these different areas of the city, you're all living across Auckland City, and Peter would say, but I want you to understand that even though you may live and reside where you reside, you are exiles. Now think about that. In other words, you may reside in Auckland, but this is not your home if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You may, you may live here, you may work here, you may have a family here, may have lived here all your life, but if you're a believer, this is not your home. Your citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. That is where you belong. That is your primary identity. That is the king whom you serve in the kingdom of heaven. That's your home. And don't get so attached to this world that you forget where your true spiritual home is. That's what Peter is saying. Now, let me just give you a little illustration of this, try and make it really practical for you. I brought along my passport today. Okay? I'm not going to show you the photo. It's pretty bad. So here's, here's my physical passport, all right? This tells me I'm a citizen of New Zealand, okay? Others of you citizens of different countries. But here is the passport. I, I belong here. I reside here. But here is my spiritual passport. Now, what, what, what does this tell me? That I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And I'm waiting for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Exactly what the Bible says. So I've got these two passports, and here is what this journey of 1 Peter is going to do for us. It's going to help us understand how we can live in both of these worlds because we live in both, right? We're going to have to figure out how we live in both worlds without giving one up because there's a couple of dangers, I think, with exiles that we, can, that we can drift into. One is the danger of separatism, that we're just so focused on our Christian identity, we don't want anything to do with the world. We just only want to talk to Christians, only want to be with Christians, only want to think Christian things and be, you know, listen to Christian music and read Christian magazines and listen to Christian TV and listen to Christian radio all the time, just Christian stuff all the time. Don't even want to deal with the rest of the world. It's like this big, bad culture, big, bad world out there. Keep it away. We live in our own little Christian bubbles, own little Christian ghettos, own little Christian incubators. Now, that some people feel like that is faithful discipleship I want to suggest that's not really being an exile. Because if you listen to the voices of the prophets in the Old Testament, you've got the thundering voice of Jeremiah, for example, in Jeremiah 29, saying, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city into which you've been taken. 
and pray for the city because when it prospers, you will prosper. Now he's talking to exiles. He's saying, don't, don't flee the city and don't be a ghetto within the city. You seek the peace and the prosperity. You, you seek the common good of the city. You see, as exiles, we are called to seek the welfare of the city. We're called to engage in the culture around us, not hide from it. We're called to engage with people outside the Christian community, not hide from them or judge them. We're called to be a part of the world. Jesus said, well, you are in the world. Be in the world. We live here. This is, this is our life. We raise families here. We have work to do that is here. And we are called to seek the common good, to contribute towards human flourishing, and to bring faith and hope and love and touches of the kingdom of God into this world wherever and however we can. So we've got to be in the world. We're not called to be separatist. We're not called to just kind of flee society. On the other hand, you know the opposite danger, right? And I wonder whether this is the bigger one for us. There is the danger of assimilation. That we just become so sucked into the world, we just become exactly like the world. You know, one of the tragedies that unfolded in the Old Testament is that finally when the time came for the Israelites to be allowed home, a whole lot of them didn't return because they'd just been too comfortable in Babylon. It's like, well, Babylon's home now. Why would I want to go back? And I worry that some Christians today are developing that kind of mindset. We're so in the world, we've just become of the world. And we've become absorbed into the ways of the people around us. Our, our, our values are exactly the same as the rest of the world. Our priorities are just the same as the people we're working with and socializing with. Our, our, the emphases of our lives, the trajectory of our lives, the kind of story we're living out of, the kind of goals that we have for ourselves, the kind of things that we do, the way we talk. There's really not a lot of difference between our lives and the lives of the people out there, except maybe we come to church a couple of times a month if we're lucky. And that's about it. That's about the distinction that there is in the lives of some Christians. And that just kind of gets tacked on there. That's not being an exile either. That's not being a faithful exile. That's being someone who's just getting swallowed up into the world, who's just being acculturated into the stories of the culture around us. So by the time we lose our distinctiveness, we've got nothing to say to the world, do we? You lose your distinctiveness. You lose your flavor, your saltiness as a Christian. You've got no light to shine. That's a mixed metaphor. <laughs> but when we stop being distinctive, We've really got nothing to offer, do we? And it's bad for our own soul because we just get colonized by the secular society in which we live. And I think there is a drift in that direction. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases Romans 12 too. He says, don't get so well adjusted to the world that you fit into it without even thinking. I find that a very searching sentence. Don't become so well adjusted. Don't become so comfortable here, so in the groove of life, that you just start fitting in to the ways of the world and the ways of secular New Zealand culture without even a moment's thought. You'll drift, you'll drift, you'll drift, and you'll be a long way from the true calling of a faithful exile that God wants you to be. Peter is saying to these exiles, you need to stand out, you need to stand up, you need to speak out, you need to be known and you need to maintain your allegiance to the King of Kings above any other loyalty you have. And as we go through the series, we're going to figure out what that looks like. 
what it looks like to live out our Christian faith as exiles in the midst of what is often a hostile culture, but maintaining our allegiance to Jesus, maintaining our particularity as Christians, come what may. So that's the life of the exile. And and we're kind of just going to have to hold this tension. I think there is a tension there because every one of us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have dual citizenship. So you're going to have to figure out how you live in two worlds at the same time. And that's where this journey is going to take us. Now, the last way in which Peter describes his audience here, he's given us the geographical identity, he's given us the experiential identity, and then finally he gives us the theological identity. And this is verse 2. I wish we had more time to unpack all of this. We don't have long. There's a lot in this verse. I'd encourage you just to sit with these phrases. They're so rich. Let me just read verse 2 again to you who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Did you notice the Trinity in there? Can you hear that? You've got the Father and the Spirit and then the Son. And Peter's saying, this is who you are. You are exiles and you are triune believers. You are defined by the triune God. So we've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What does that mean? That from all eternity, God has chosen you. I mean, just think about that for a minute. We could, we could sit all day on that. That from eternity past, God has looked down through time and history. He's seen your life. He's placed his hand upon your life, and he's said, you're mine. We, we just so often think that it's all about our choice, don't we? It's all about the day I chose Jesus, you know, and it's me, and I choose him, and I choose him for my life, and it's about me choosing him. And, and, and yes, God does give us that choice, but I think Peter's saying, just steady on there for a minute. Long before you were looking for God, he was looking for you. Long before you were running towards him, he was running towards you. Long before you were interested in him, he was very interested in you. Long before you thought you were making some choice, he had already put a plan of salvation in place to rescue you and redeem you and draw you into his family. He's had that underway from eternity past. You just came into the picture very recently, so don't start thinking it's all about you. God loves you. This should speak value into your life, though, to know that you've been chosen from the foundation of the world and God has set his love upon your life and said, I choose you. And then the sanctifying of the Holy Spirit. This is where the Spirit comes into the picture. The idea of sanctifying just means to make make us holy. We're going to talk more about holiness in a couple of weeks' time. But the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us holy. And what Peter's talking about right here is that moment when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you become a Christian, what the Holy Spirit does is he takes all the benefits of Jesus, all that Jesus has done, and he is the one, the Spirit is the one who gives all that to you. Like it comes about in and through Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is the one who applies it into your account. You could think of it that way. The Holy Spirit's the one who makes the deposit. He takes the righteousness of Jesus, he gives it to you. He takes all the merit that Jesus has earned through his life and his death, and he gives it to you. He takes all the spiritual blessings that are in Christ, and he just says, here you go, pours it into our life. The Spirit is the one who comes and seals salvation upon our heart and makes us holy. And then, finally, Peter says, for obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, this is, this is a tough one to hear, but what Peter's saying is the purpose for which we've been saved is obedience, and we're called to obey. I don't really feel that comfortable talking about obedience some of the time. I'd rather talk about grace. But Peter wants to talk about obedience, so I guess we're going to have to talk about obedience. 
you know, the, the, the reality is obedience is grace. It's grace all the way along, isn't it? It's the same grace that saves us is the grace that transforms us. And that's what Peter's saying. He's saying you're saved by grace and then God gets to work in our lives and he transforms us. And by his grace and by his word and by his spirit and through his people, he will transform us and he will gradually conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the work of what we call sanctification in our lives. And so through First Peter, Peter's going to talk to us about obedience. And I want you to be ready for this. Okay, I, w- I want to encourage you to open up your life and be ready to hear it because there'll be some things that are hard to hear, be some things that are hard for me to hear, be some things that are going to challenge us as he talks to us about what it means. In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to talk about the call to holiness as a Christian. It's not going to be easy to hear. I want to encourage you to be humble and be open and not make excuses and not rationalize, but show up ready to listen and ready to receive and ready to be challenged where that conviction of the Spirit wants to challenge you. It's going to be God's work, not mine. I can say these things, but I'm very dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit showing up in your life and bringing that word of conviction. And it's never going to be to load more guilt upon you. It's never going to be to load shame upon your life. That is never the purpose of God, to tear you down. It will be for the purpose of raising you up. It will be for the purpose of making you more human than you are now. And pouring into your life more of the abundant life that Jesus promised to us, always for the purpose of building up. But we're going to talk about obedience. And so as we finish, let me just draw us back again to the central metaphor of the exiles, because I want this to be in your minds as you walk out of here today. I want you to start thinking about yourself this week as an exile in your workplace, in the, at the gym, as you're watching the Olympics, at, you know, at, at school, at uni. Think about yourself as an exile. Could you try that coat on this week and see if it fits? Think about yourself as an exile. Let me just finish by reading you what this looked like for these early Christians. Not something from the Bible. This is something from outside Scripture, and it comes from the second century. So if you, this is 100 years after the New Testament was written, 100 years after Peter was writing. There was another guy who came along called Methetus. He was a Christian apologist. And he wrote a letter to a friend of his. And in that letter, he talks about these Christians. He talks about what Christians look like and and how they live and what their lifestyle is like. And as I read this, I want you to think about that word exile. He says, And yet there is something extraordinary about their lives. They live in their own countries as though they were only passing through. They play their full role as citizens but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. Any country can be their homeland, but for them, their homeland, wherever it may be, is a foreign country. Like others, they marry and have children, but they do not expose them. That means they don't leave them out to die. They share their meals, but not their wives. That's good, isn't it? (laughs) They They live in the flesh, but they are not governed by the desires of the flesh. They pass their days upon earth, but they are citizens of heaven, obedient to the laws, yet they live on a level that transcends the law. That's exile. That's spiritual exile. We'll make our home wherever we, we find ourselves and we'll get stuck in in whatever culture, society or country we happen to be placed, but we'll never call it our true home. We'll never call it our true spiritual home. We will always see ourselves as resident aliens here, whose true spiritual passport is in the kingdom of heaven. And we're just passing through this life, waiting for a saviour, 
from the kingdom of heaven who one day is going to renew and redeem this world and then make it our true spiritual home. But until that day, let's learn to live as exiles. Let's think of ourselves as foreigners, sojourners, aliens, pilgrims here, just passing through. And even this week, think about the ways in which God might be calling you to seek the welfare of the city into which he's placed you, to pursue the common good, and yet not get so attached to this place that it becomes home. Let's not put our treasure here. Let's not put down spiritual permanent roots here. Let's never say this is where we're going to be forever in this state, but let's always look towards home and let's live as exiles in this place as we fix our eyes on Jesus and live out our days on earth. Let's pray together. God, we want to lift up to you this journey that we're going on as a church. We thank you for Peter. We thank you for his life and his story and his faithfulness, God, and, we, and, and his flaws. And we thank you that he's just a very real person. And we thank you for his faithfulness in writing these things down as you revealed them to him. For the churches that this letter got passed around and read out 2,000 years ago, for the way this book's now been made its way into our Bible, for the way we can read it today, and these words are still living and active and life-giving for us now in the 21st century. And we believe that's because of your Holy Spirit. And so we just want to lift our lives to you and open our hearts to you in this series and just say, God, we're willing to hear and we're willing to receive whatever you have for us. We come with our questions and our uncertainties and our fears and hopes and doubts, but we just want to come with an open heart. And just in this moment, Lord, we just say, speak to us. Speak to us through your word. We're listening, God. We're ready. We're hungry. We want to grow. We want to be changed. We long for more of you. And we long to know how we can live as faithful exiles in this world. Come and show us and deal with us tenderly, God, because we're fragile. Be gracious to us as you work on us through this series, we pray. But lead us through your word and bring it alive to us day by day and week to week, we pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.